field come in. Meg Lanning, the Australian captain, on strike. They play tip and run, they get home, and normal service has been resumed. Australia, champions 2018. They have now won it four times in the last five occasions. And you can see what it means to their team. Outstanding performance. They have completely blown England away. There it is, people. Australia are the World Women's T20 Champions again. Order is restored. This is the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, a.k.a. Menas, and I'm absolutely flying after the Australian women's team thrashed the bombs in the women's T20 final. So it's going to be a fun podcast today. That was Nasser Hussain on the call there as Australia knocked that single to win the tournament. All right now, a big podcast joining me. I have Tom Supercoach Sangster. How are you, mate? Good to be here, Menas. I'm not sure if I'm quite as excited as you. That was such a great intro. I am pumped. I've had such a big week of cricket. I've been bathing in cricket action. I'm going to tell you all about it. And the other panellist is Joe Barton. Joe, how are you? I'm good. I've been bathing in uh, regular bathwater. No no cricket, but I've been watching the cricket. Well, let me just run you through my bath of cricket over the last week. I interviewed Rod Marsh and Alex Carey, two fine wicket keepers, then followed that up with uh, Pat Cummins and Aaron Finch press conferences. I was at the SCG on Friday night for a Steve War talk. Now, I've got some exclusives here. So they had a Q&A at the end of the Steve War talk. And obviously, I mean, they opened the mic sitting there. I was up as quick as a flash. First one up to ask Steve War a question. I, I can't get him on the podcast, so I took that for him. And I said to Tugger, I said, you know, it's been a rough year for Australian cricket. You know, Steve, can you come and save the cricket team by getting into administration or something? <laughs> And Steve Waugh was very diplomatic, said that he still is good friends with Justin Langer. So he talks to Justin Langer. So I think he's sort of playing a slight mentor role behind the scenes, perhaps with Justin Langer. And he also talks to current players, but he does it all off the record away from, you know, the prying eyes of uh, media journalists like us. So he's involved, but said, you know, his charity work and his other commitments just sort of precludes him from taking a, a formal role in Australian cricket. But it's good to know that someone like him is actually talking to Langer and some of our senior players. Absolutely. Yep. It's great to hear. And it's a very Steve War thing to do to sort of shun the limelight and do everything uh, behind the limelight and just get stuff done, which is what Steve Waugh always did during his career. And I always used to love when he got a century and he would barely celebrate. There'd be a little tip of the bat and that's it. No fanfare from Steve Waugh. Opposite of and warning. That's, and that's what made him how good he was. He, he um, he's In the past, he's talked about being involved in cricket and why he hasn't gone into coaching and that sort of thing. And I think he's, he said he'll always help anybody who wants to come to him and go, look, I need I need some help with this batting or any, any sort of mentoring role. He's like, more than happy to do it, but cricket's given me enough money. Um, I don't think I need to, to get into that coaching side of things. So he, he'll always help somebody out. That's, that's his attitude. He's a giver. He was asked if he's going to read uh, Shane Warne's new book and he said he only reads non-fiction. So... Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so look, a great cricket week, Steve War, and then obviously yesterday, Sunday in Sydney, watched the women beat the English and then headed out to the SCG for an Indian home game, which was a great night. So big podcast this week. Joe, Tom and I are going to wrap up all the cricket headlines. Then we're going to 
talk about the the T20 series that was just completed. And we're going to start to sort of delve into this Indian test squad that will be taking on the Aussies in two weeks and just see some of the danger men for India. We've both picked two players and we'll, we'll feature them later. But let's start with Australia winning the World T20 in the West Indies. The women beat England by eight wickets. England was steamrolled all out for 105 and then Australia mowed the target down two for 106 of 15.1 overs. I mean, it was such a dominating performance and Australia dropped three or four chances. So despite that, we were able to, to smash them. Yeah, the, the, the early, uh, early overs looked a little bit worrying, especially even Alyssa Healy, who has had, was, had such an amazing tournament with the bat. But with the, uh, with the gloves, she was kind of well off the pace. She's talked about wearing glasses and maybe the glasses helped her for some games, but she wore the glasses uh, on Sunday and still dropped a relatively simple catch, which ended up costing Australia about 30-odd runs. Um, Danny White, who was yeah, she, England's best player. She was, she, was the only, she was the only woman to... Well, I think they had two in double figures and she, she top-scored by some margin. All in all, very, very uh, dominant performance by Australia throughout the tournament. Healy with the bat was just world class. She had, I think, four player of the match awards. And player of the tournament. Player of the tournament. She had four scores over 40, hitting at a strike rate of about 150. In the final, Georgie Wareham and and Ash Gardner were both, you know, next level. Ash Gardner, three for 22 and 33 not out with three massive sixes. And what are they, 19 and 20 years old or something like that? I mean. The future of the uh, of the Aussie women's team very very strong, um, especially when you've still got the likes of Healy and Perry well and truly in their prime, and yeah, just a fantastic all round performance. I'd just like to say something about Alyssa Healy because it's strange that she's talking about wicket keeping with glasses when she's absolutely smoking the ball when she's batting, mm. and yet she had that shocker with the gloves in the final. But I think she was pretty good with the gloves for most of the tournament. And I've said for a while when I watch cricket. When most people watch cricket, they say the wicketkeeper has done a good job if no one notices them. Whereas I'm the reverse. I'm a wicketkeeping nerd. All I watch is the wicketkeeping. Former wicketkeeper, Tom For, Sangster. Exactly. I'm a wicketkeeping nerd, and that is all I watch. And before the final, I always thought Alyssa Healy is one of the few players in world sport who could compete with the men. She's that good. She's as good as some of, some of the first grade keepers, sorry, first class keepers in Australia in the men's game. Uh, unfortunately, she had that shocker in the final, so I may have to withdraw that <laughs> opinion for now. But she's good. She's seriously good. And I think better than a couple of the first-class keepers in Australia in the men's competition right now. Big call from Tommy Sangster. Also in the final, Elise Perry took a 100th T20 wicket. I'm just um, replacing Steve Smith record watch while he's on a band with Elise Perry record watch. They both seem to break a new cricket record every week. All right, now speaking of Elisa Healy, we were really lucky that the Herald Sun have got a sports reporter over there, Eliza Sewell, lovely sports reporter, doing a great job for the for the News Limited papers, keeping a track of this whole tournament. It's a pretty tough gig, though, being in the West Indies. I mean, come on. If, if either of you two were offered the chance, you'd be on oh, that plane. I'd hate to be in Barbados <laughs> right now. You hate, so, you hate rum, so it's not yeah. your place. So Eliza caught up with Elisa uh, the morning after the final. So let's go now and and hear the interview with Eliza Saul and Elisa Healy and just a bit of background. I sent a few questions beforehand to Eliza, one of which was a, a slight joke to Elisa that would she consider giving up the gloves and becoming a specialist batsman after the final performance. So listen out for that one. And we're crossing now to the West Indies. <laughs> 
It's Eliza Saul from the Herald Sun and I'm here at the Pineapple Club with Alyssa Healy the day after, the night before. You look pretty good. How are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. I uh, can't buy experience in this situation and I got myself to bed at a reasonable 4.30 hour and um, got up and ready to go for our team photo. So feeling really good, but yeah, a few of the girls got headaches and it's well deserved. Who was player of the post-match? I can see a few <laughs> over there who look a bit shady. Miss uh, Elise Perry. Elise Perry's probably best on ground, but uh, no doubt Sophie Molyneux would have given it a good shake. Um, judging by the war wounds that she's got on her arm um, from falling in a bush, I think she's... Uh, Best on ground, no doubt. It seems quite mellow. Like, what we, yeah. what was the celebrations like last night? It was pretty mellow, to be honest. Everyone was, I think, just really relieved that we, we'd finally done it. There's been a big build-up to it, something that we were really looking forward to and something that we really wanted to achieve, and I guess we've done it, and everyone just sort of relaxed. It's been a, a long six weeks away from home, so everyone just sort of enjoyed one another's company with this few celebratory beverages, and um, no doubt that'll continue over the next day and a half but I think it's just everyone's just really proud of the achievement I think. And did that pressure build? It didn't seem to show that much or maybe it did with fielding I don't know did the pressure build? (laughs) No I don't think it did I think um, you know fielding was always going to come into come into the game and be a big part of the game and unfortunately we didn't quite nail that on the head uh, me included but I think the way that we were just resilient with the ball and with the bat as well, I think, just showed where this group's at. And um, no, I don't think the pressure got to us at all. I think I've never seen the group so calm leading into a into a World Cup final. And um, I think that yeah, it just shows that you know we're a really mature group considering that you know the youth that we've got in our side, but the experience that they've had over the last sort of couple of years has been invaluable. You talk about yeah, the youth, like just Wareham <laughs> and Gardner. Like yeah, how did you view? Not just that game, but the way they've sort of carried themselves through this tournament. Yeah, I was really proud of Ash last night to be able to come out and and perform on the biggest stage at the time that we needed her. I think, um, you know, that's why she's in the team, to to play those match-winning performances for us. It it might not always come off, and it potentially hasn't all the time, but when it does come off, it's really good for our team. So I was really proud of her effort last night. She's obviously, um, she's been chomping at the bit to get a bit more of a bowl and to get that opportunity and bowl really well. And then obviously, um, you know, take down the English spinners was pretty impressive to watch. So, um, yeah, really proud of her. And Wolfie and and Soph as well have been tremendous throughout the tournament. Um, I actually joked last night I went back to my room and got to watch a bit of the men's T20 on the telly and they were talking about Georgia Wareham's leg spin on the coverage, which was um, which is really cool to see a young leg spinner come onto the scene and just have an impact from day one. I think it's really impressive. Yeah, speaking of that, they're not going too bad. You guys, four championships. <laughs> you got a, you know, you're going to teach them a few things, talk to Mitch, show him how it's done. <laughs> no, they, uh, they're fine. They just... Uh, need to click with the bat and they'll be right I think yeah the T20 format is just so fickle you can't really um, you can't predict a win or, or predict how you're going to go it's just so fickle and the Indian side are a world class unit so I'm looking forward to watching the test series I think we're a little more predictable in that format and um, can hopefully just dig in with the bat and um, I think both bowling lineups are going to be pretty strong so it's just about how the batters adapt I suppose. When you talk about that fickleness then does that make your achievement even more greater than, than yeah. you know, because, yeah, you were just so consistent. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, we spoke about it that the best teams don't always win World Cups. I think, you know, you can play a really great tournament and get knocked out in the semi final. So for us to be so consistent throughout, obviously we had a blip against India, but um, to be so consistent throughout, even the last sort of 12, 18 months is 
been really impressive and in a format that is so fickle. I think it just shows the um, the strength that we've got in our country at the moment. We're well supported and we've got really good domestics domestic setup. So yep. if that keeps improving, you know, we're only just going to keep improving as well. Yeah, you spoke last night about you know that you finally feel like you belong. What yeah. what is wrong with you that you didn't? Yeah, that you you sort of hadn't felt that before. I'm not too sure. I think um, I've always been one. I love team sport, I love playing in a team and I love contributing to a team so it was never about me and what I was doing, it was always about how can I help best a team and I, I think it never really crossed my mind that um, potentially I needed to perform well to, to contribute to the team so um, I guess the last sort of eight months has sort of proven to me that I can fit in and I can belong at this level and hopefully I can, if I'm doing that, I'm going to contribute to a team success so um, hopefully I can have a couple more years before I hang up the boots. Yeah, I think you can keep going. Um, is there a chance that you might just become a specialist batsman, like, later on? I hope not. I love my wicket-keeping. It's, yeah. it's a part of the game that I really enjoy. It hasn't always gone to plan and something that I, I can definitely take out of this tournament. It wasn't the best behind the stumps, but, oh, look, it may happen in the future. You know, Moons is going really, really well with her batting and potentially will with her keeping, and it might be something that's looked at if a, another young player comes along that's exceptional with the gloves so it could be looked at but in saying that it's not something that I want to relinquish I love mm. keeping it's uh, it's one of the best places to be on the field I get bored in the field so um, it's the best place to be and I hope not but in saying that you never know yeah and just heading to 2020 yep um, will this group stay together and can you see it becoming the dynasty that it, it almost needs to do you know what I mean yeah. like you, yeah you, you need to get a few more yeah I think so I think this group can definitely stay together I think I don't think there's anyone on the brink of retiring mm. or or looking at moving on and um, you know the performances that everyone's been putting out there has been top notch so um, I can definitely see us staying together but in saying that there's a big 18 months ahead of us um, there's some players at home that are, are really chomping at the bit to be a part of this group and can potentially contribute as well so I don't think anyone's place is set in stone but in saying that it'd be nice to see this group stay together because there's something really special about yeah. it and the next few days you get to have a bit more beach what's, yeah. what's the plan because yep. you've got WBBL starting what five six days or something yeah first of Jan's our game but um, yeah look I invested in some sunscreen yesterday so I'm going to go out and enjoy the sunshine I think the last week's been fairly uh, low key for me I've been staying indoors and um, trying to get my, my head right so that I can contribute and um, I'm just going to go out and enjoy the sunshine enjoy the beach and um, enjoy what it's what touring's supposed to be like you know you come to a place like this and get to experience the local um, local everything and um, it's pretty cool to be a part of so hopefully I'll enjoy that and go home and be ready to go uh, the sixes is, is something I'm really looking forward to going back and being a part of and, and hopefully we can have a similar success mm. you head knock I've even forgotten about that because of how well you just recovered um, you sort of acted like it wasn't that bad but you know what was it really like for you yeah, honestly, it wasn't that bad. I mm. think um, I was just really lucky. I didn't have many symptoms. Yeah. I wasn't having headaches. I just had a sore neck. And yeah, I was just really lucky. And I was well looked after as well. So I think me not batting against you knew was probably the best decision that was ever made. And um, whilst I wasn't happy with it at the time, I think it was um, it came in handy to have that extra half-day rest and get myself right. And I was feeling good after that. So I knew waking up on the, the day of the semi-final, I was good to go. And I was they were going to clear me. And I was a kid in a candy store. I was ready to get out there and get amongst it. So I feel like it just sort of straightened me out a little. So I have to wait and see. Made, made you want it even more? Maybe, maybe yeah. yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. You've been a joy to watch. And um, hope it continues in the WBBL. Thanks so much. 
Oh, great stuff from Eliza Sewell in the Caribbean. Uh, that was her podcast debut. She did a great job. She was very nervous about coming on Cricket Unfiltered. So uh, well done. She's, she can be a regular part of the show now. And uh, just, a, just a great stuff from the women and a, a feel-good story. I know it's a tired line that's been said a lot, but, you know, in a tough year for Australian cricket, this is a little bit of a boost. It's just good to have a win. <laughs> it's, good, it's good to be able to cheer, cheer somebody at the moment. So that was the Women's World T20 Wrap. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with the week of cricket headlines. Before we take the break, I just want to remind you all that if you have a chance, please uh, rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on uh, on an app and then you'll get every new podcast straight into your smartphone or computer. A couple of apps like Player FM, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, they're, they're great apps to listen to podcasts on. All right, so... We're going to take a quick break. Then we'll be back, and uh, the, the the first voice you'll hear will be Ben Horn and I grilling Aaron Finch about the debacle in Victoria surrounding his uh, spot in the batting order. So that'll be coming up in a moment. Aaron, is, is it important to you to open in that Shield game? No, I don't think so. I think Victoria's... Had a, had a very settled opening combination in Marcus Harris and Travis Dean for three or four years now, and, and they've they've played really well together. I think that, that that's important that we we respect that. Um, so I, I don't think that I'll open in that in that game. They've, they've both been playing nicely, so um, I'm sure in the next couple of days I'll chat to Andrew and Pete and and get a bit clearer clearer position. But they're obviously two different positions facing the new ball and coming in later. Like, can you prepare the way you want to prepare? For the first test, you know, if, you, if you're not at the top of the order, yeah, I think it's more about just time in the middle, regardless of where you're batting. I think runs in any any position count um, count a lot more than than if you miss out open the batting. It's just, I think it's just it's just time in the middle, to be honest. And and if they like they they've sort of, the selectors have said they'll certainly leave it up to Victoria. Like, would you yeah. expect to have a conversation with um, Andrew about it, or, or you know? You... No, I don't. I don't think so. I th- like JL said, it, it's the states. It's up to them how they. They see themselves winning the game with the, with the best uh, best structure. So I don't I don't plan that I'll have that conversation. At the end of the day, it's up to the captain and the coach to, to make that call. And and whatever Pete and Ron decide, um, I'll be comfortable with whether that's three, four, five. I think just time in the middle against a red ball is, is as good a preparation regardless of where you bat. Isn't it confusing though when your state coach is saying one thing and the national coach is saying another about where you should bat? No, I don't think so. I, I, I think it depends. It all depends on where you pick to fit into the national side, and um, I've played in the middle order for Victoria for most of my career, so I, I don't see it as being too confusing or conflicting at all. And, and like I said before, JL's theory is it's up to the, the states to align their ta- teams with how they how they best see them winning a game. So Victoria, like I said, we've had a very settled opening combination in Harrison Dean for for a couple of years now, and, and won three out of the last four shields. So um, tough to argue with that. And welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm here with Tom Sangster and Joe Barton. That was Aaron Finch, Ben Horn and myself putting the tough questions to the Aussie white ball captain. Uh, Now let's get into the week of cricket headlines brought to you by Sydney's The Daily Telegraph. And uh, that, that discussion was about the first test team that Aaron Finch is been selected we think as an opener for Australia but he's not going to open for Victoria at this stage in the Shield. Could change because the match hasn't started yet. Uh, where do you two sit on this? Should Aaron Finch be opening for Victoria? No. 
Why not, Joe? Well, I mean, I've got... Why not is because Andrew McDonald doesn't want him to. He feels the best team that they can pick does not have Aaron Finch as the opener. The best team Australia can pick does have Aaron Finch as the opener, but they're different teams. They serve different purposes. Warnie came out yesterday highly critical, saying, you know, I think he said it's a disgrace that, that Victoria won't play Aaron Finch in the same spot that he'll... I agree like, with Warnie on this one. Well, unsurprisingly... Well, actually, it is surprising. You don't often uh, side with Warnie, but I, look... What we've criticised the Shield in recent years for, and even Cricket Australia, has been a devaluing of the Shield by going, no, you're you're not a first-class competition. You are just there purely to get players in the test team. We had far- farcical situations like where Mitchell Stark was parachuted in for one innings. That's got nothing to do with this, Joe. It's exactly the same problem. Nothing to do with this. It's, it's, got it's, Aaron Finch. No, no, it's Tesla. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Australia, and his state coach is saying, you're not good enough to open for Victoria. I mean, what sort of mindset is that going into a test match? That Oh, it, mate, I think Travis Dean's a better opener. He's just saying for the fit of the team, that, that works better. You've, you've got a combination. I mean, you guys know openers have a special bond. They share a special partnership. These guys have done it for three straight summers. Yeah, but then Harris, Harrison Finch could be at least trying to establish a partnership ahead of the first test. And Andrew McDonald might be right about Aaron Finch being better suited to the middle order. Time will tell that. But if the selected, the national selectors make a call, Ronnie McDonald just has to toe the line. Justin Langer does not pick the Victorian eleven. He should not be having any influence over that uh, over that selection. It's McDonald's decision to win games, and he can run his team however he wants to run the team. I'm with Joe on this one. It's it's his job to win the match, and Finch. The stats show is not a good opener in first class yeah, cricket. Once the call he averages has been eighteen made by the selectors, and Langer said Finch is going to open. Victoria just has to fall into line. No, Who that's, that's he's the best for our country. No, well, Justin it's Langer has Victorian attitude. Justin Langer has picked Hello, Victoria. has picked Finch on a gut feel. That is a gut feel that not that many people in Australian cricket actually feel as well. And Andrew McDonald obviously doesn't feel that too. And nor should he. He should run his team how he wants to run his team. And Langer can run his team on his gut feels like he wants to. And the stats show that Aaron Finch is not a good opener in first-class cricket. Averages, I think, 18 in that position for Victoria. What, what we need the Sheffield Shield to be is the, go back to being, is the most dominant first-class competition in the world. And for that to happen, you need to have people and teams all at their, playing at the highest level trying to win. If that means that Aaron Finch doesn't get to open because Justin Langer wants him to open, so be it. Make, make domestic, the domestic first-class scene in Australia as tough as possible. And is Harris going to play in the test anyway? That's the other big question. Well, we'll get to that, but I just think, you know, McDonald's sabotaging the Australian test team with this He's trying to get a win. In another sport, this would never happen. Well, uh, look, I I just think it's the wrong call. And if you've got what are considered the the national openers in your team, that's where they should bat. All right, let's get into the the nitty-gritty of Australia's first test team. Marcus Harris and Peter Hanscom have been included in the team as batsmen seven and eight. A head, a Travis Head has been retained, whereas Lobachane has been dropped. And then, interestingly, they've picked five quick. So uh, they've got the usual start, Cummins, Hazelnut, and then Chris Tremaine and P. P Siddle, P. Diddy, come in as the fourth and fifth quicks. So that's the makeup of the team. Marcus Harris has a first-class average of just... 35, but since he left Western Australia, he's averaged almost 50 in 25 games for Victoria with five centuries. 
I really like Marcus Harris's technique. He's a nice, compact little player. I really liked it when he, he came onto the scene for the Scorchers about seven or eight years ago. Uh, he looked like a real prospect. He hasn't kicked on so far, but I think he's got potential. I like how he's developed. He reminds me a lot of David Warner when he bats. He's got that same sort of nuggety, defiant kind of technique. Uh, left-hander as well. And he's he sort of started, as you say, as a hit-out or get-out kind of player for the short form of the game where he just come out, try and smash as many runs as he can in the power play. And whatever happens, if he gets out, it's fine. If he gets runs, it's fine. But now he's developed himself into a seriously good first-class player, averaging almost 50, as you say, since he moved to Victoria. I just love the way that he's developed. Still only 26, so he's about to hit his prime. He's, he's been, yeah, the, the, he debuted at 18 for, for West Australia, so I think people kind I think of... he's the youngest player to make 150. Yeah, in, in, since Clem Hill, <laughs> or, or perhaps even younger than Clem Hill. But one, one thing that I do really like about um, Marcus Harris is his ability to step up on the big stage. He's made... Hundreds in two separate um, Sheffield Shield finals. So. And Trevor Hone cited that in the press release that He's his a good ability judge. to make runs under pressure uh, was one of the factors. Yeah, that's what, and that's what you want to see. You want to see guys who, when the when the heat is applied, they can stand up and and still score those runs. That's probably something which we've been missing at times from the Australian batters. You're kidding. Well, you know, you just look at how many collapses there, there are when the heat applies. We we have struggled in recent years and. I'd like to see a guy who really uh, who really digs in. Um, and you, you compared him to Dave Warner. I've seen a couple of people comparing him to uh, a different nuggety left-hander, the yeah. bloke who's the coach at the moment, Justin Langer. So. Yeah. Well, they have um, quite they're, an they're interesting... To- I reckon they're totally different styles of player. He's, Harris is definitely more of a Warner. Yeah. He's not going to muck around. He will attack. That's what I like about him. He's not going to be a Matt Renshaw who's going to soak up 50 balls uh, and see off the new ball. He will try and score as many runs as he can while the ball is hard. And you can hit you can hit the ball harder. He he has showed this uh, this shield season that he does have the ability to bat long though. He scored uh, the big two fifty against New South Wales, and he he has he's, he's been in the, he's spent a lot of time in the middle as well as scoring quickly. So also uh, Harris was at the same club as Justin Langer, and I think uh, Justin Langer was Harris's first A grade captain uh, in Perth, and also had the same batting coach. So there, there are they've got a bit some, of history. Well, and he called him mediocre as yeah, well a which few is years overplayed. Ago. And the other big news is Marcus Harris has a French bulldog called Archie, and he hasn't booked him in for puppy boarding over the Christmas break because he didn't realise he'd be playing for. Australia, so bad luck, Harris. It's pretty hard to get puppy boarding at this time of the year if you haven't pre-booked. Uh, the other inclusion is Peter Hanscom. wasn't selected for the UAE tour. I think he's kind of cover for Usman Khawaja, perhaps if he if he doesn't come up right for the first test. Or uh, I think we mentioned before, perhaps Finch and Khawaja would stay as the openers, like in the UAE, and they might look at bringing um, Hanscom into the middle order. Hanscom was always a bit hard done by. He only really had two bad tests in a row, and his technique totally failed him in those tests, and he was getting back to... He was playing back to half volleys every ball, basically, because they'd just bowl as full and as full as possible at him, and he couldn't handle it. His technique totally failed. But I feel that... Uh, He's gone back to the JLT Cup where he scored a whole bunch of 50s and then the Sheffield Shield and played well. He's addressed his technique and the key with him is if Peter Hanscom is driving down the ground on the front foot, then you know that he's in good form and he's doing that right now because he the, the trap that he can fall into is playing back to full balls at the moment. He's not doing that. He's He's been hanging around with Chris Rogers working on his technique and he's driving well 
between mid on, mid off, and mid on. Yeah, you're exactly right. Chris Rogers has just helped him get his uh, front shoulder into the the drive more. It's quite technical, but Hanscom was opening up his chest to the bowler when defending. Uh, what do you think, Bardo? Do you think Hanscom is a chance at playing in the first test? Um, well, as as you said, if if Usman doesn't come up, then obviously he's straight in. I think he could also be battling potentially with Travis Head, who's no absolute locked-in guarantee to, to play the first test. I'd, I'd say he's ahead of, of Hanscom, but if, if there's two people, two batsmen who are battling it out, I'd say Marcus Harris is locked in, but uh, Hanscom could be there as, as a rival to, to Travis Head. But I would uh, be happy if they played Hanscom over uh, Harris. Mate, I'm into that as well. Hanscom over well. Harris. Yeah, I'm into that, especially in Australia. Yeah, I, I don't mind Finch and Kawaja opening. It's an option if they're going to stick Finch up there, he can stick with Kawaja. Speaking of Usman Kawaja, controversial week for the uh, left-handed Australian batsman. Uh, he was on commentating for the T20 game against India and was talking about how the reverse sweep is becoming the cover drive for the next generation. And he gave it to some of the commentators about kind of uh, ex-players who hadn't really moved with the times and were criticising Australian batsmen for playing reckless shots. But Usman was saying, well, that's the new generation. Uh, where do you two sit on this argument? Is Usman <laughs> talking porkies? I'm, I'm a dinosaur because I just like your traditional cricket shots. Like I watched Virat Kohli last night and I don't remember seeing a whole heap of uh, reverse sweeps or ramp shots or anything like that. I saw a beautiful inside-out punch for six, uh, you know, over over long off, which you know, in my opinion, is one of the more pretty cricket shots you can you can play. And Virat just played essentially what I would describe as a pretty flawless, perfect innings with traditional cricket shots. That's that's what I think can can work. There aren't too many players in the world who can play like Virat, Virat Kohli and keep a conventional technique and do that sort of stuff. There are a few like Davy Warner can do it, but let's face it, most people aren't that talented. I feel some players can do it. I think Chris Ling can do it. I think Darcy Short can do it. But there are players in the Australian team who need to improvise to score quickly. But I think Glenn Maxwell is a guy who doesn't need to do all this improvisation. He has the talent to stand and deliver like a Coley, like a Darcy Short, like a Chris Lynn. It just depends on the player. Some players need to do dinky sweep shots to score runs. Alex Carey is an exact example because he doesn't have that big power down the ground. I think Kawaj's part of his point is that they practice those shots a lot more. And at this Steve War talk on Friday night, he said that if you played a reverse sweep in the nets when he was playing, Bob Simpson would just take you out. So that's it, mate. No more batting for you. So times have changed. It was just interesting that Usman came out swinging with a few blows it, to the commentators. It was good drama. It was, it was great television. And it's good to see that you've got a player out there willing to speak his mind and just not toe the line when they're on television in front of people. And Gilly was, had the earpiece and he said, all of a sudden Usman's got to go. I think he's, yeah. he got pulled pretty quickly. <laughs> all right. The, the other two selections, Chris Tremaine and Peter Siddle have been included in the test squad. Chris Tremaine, this is a record that is going to blow listeners away. 200 first-class wickets at an average of 23. And I talked on the podcast a while ago that Tremaine had a fitness issue that cropped up over the winter. The details of that have now emerged that he failed, a, I think, a 2K time trial up in Queensland. And he, he went in there after a holiday and wasn't quite up to fitness. And that sort of cost him a spot in the Australian squad to England in the winter. But he's bounced back from that. And I think his cover for say Cummins and Stark and I think Peter Siddle is for Hazelwood 
I think if yep. Hazelwood were to go down, Siddle would play, whereas if Cummins or Stark didn't play, then Tremaine would come in. I think you got it spot on there, and it's it's hard not to like Tremaine. He's tall, barely bowls a straight, uh, barely bowls a straight ball, all a swinging. Another it. bloke that left um, New South Wales to get an opportunity somewhere else. Yep, a Dubbo boy, I think Tremaine. Um, but how good are our bowling stocks at the moment? Certainly, when you compare it to our batting stocks, uh, the bowling stocks are so stocks. You've got Tremaine. Jackson Bird is averaging in the low 20s. Cope's mid-20s. Chad Sayers, low 20s. Socky O'Keefe in the mid to low 20s. So many good bowlers going around at the moment. We've got the four locked in, who I do believe are are the best four in the country. But if all four of them went down, we'd have some seriously good backup coming through. We can't say that about our batting, and that's been tested recently when Steve Smith and uh, Warner went uh, and got banned. And Bancroft. And Bancroft. All right, speaking of the bands, let's move on to our next cricket headline. The the bands for Bancroft, Smith and Warner were upheld by Cricket Australia last week. They were not overturned despite the appeal by the Australian Cricketers Association. Uh, look, I, I see why they weren't overturned because there would have been a lot of people come out and criticise Cricket Australia if they had. But do you think anyone would have really cared if they were allowed to play shield cricket? I think it would be an issue for maybe a week. After that, I think people would get over it pretty quickly. If they said, oh, you can come back and play in the test matches against India, I think there would have been a massive outcry. International outcry, probably. (laughs) The English papers would have had a field day. Indian papers would have had a a field day. The Indian supporters want to play Smith & Warner, so if they win, we don't have that excuse. Yeah, fair enough. Um, But I I still think there there would be outrage if they were back for the test. But, I mean, personally, I wouldn't be... Remotely bothered if they if they were back playing for New South Wales. I mean, the round of shield starts on Tuesday. If New South Wales had were, had the ability to pick them now, I wouldn't wouldn't be remotely phased. But equally, yeah, I'm 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 with you. I understand why they can't do it because it's a it's a massive story and to backflip on um on the bands having taken such such a strong stance in the first place would look a little bit embarrassing. The thing I find ridiculous is that Smith is going to go away to play in the Bangladesh Premier League. Warner had signed for the UAE Premier League which is now being banned uh, which is now um not going ahead. But we had these our two best players, our two most marketable players going overseas and foreign foreign boards were benefiting from our two best exports. That is, it's very strange, and it shows a lack of foresight in the first place. Absolutely, but right, I, Tommy. But they, they can't, on. they can't just back down on the bands either. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's I'll, just that they they should have thought about it more mm, at the start. I agree. And they had they they took a long time to deliver these bands. Surely they took all this stuff into account. Um, it's the lack of foresight that that annoys me. But you can't just back down on a band. A band's a band. Yeah, I think um, our colleague up at the Courier Mail, Robert Crash Craddock, said it best when he said that. They should have been allowed to play Shield Cricket and perhaps Big Bash from the beginning, but once the ban had been put in place, then it was hard to go back on it. All right, uh, uh, the next headline is George Bailey has given up the Tasmanian captaincy to concentrate on his batting. Matthew Wade takes over the skippering duties, and I think this potentially could be George Bailey's last first-class season in Australia. Uh, and, you know, he hasn't been in the best form and it'd be perfect chance for him to perhaps play in some of these T20 leagues around the world and build yep. up his bank balance. Yeah, I 100% agree. And it looks like there's a bit of a succession plan going on there. I think they've called him Matty Wade as the captain. Yeah, they're, they're acting now to get Wade used to the role before George Bailey goes off and earns a bit of cash before his retirement. I think you're underselling it, saying he's in bad form. I think he's averaging five or something in the in the shield this year. It's not... 
not looking too flash. And Brett Jeeves actually wrote, wrote a, an analysis of breaking down Bailey's um, misfiring technique and, yeah, basically kind of had some details uh, which showed he's shuffling around too much. His eyes are out of out of sync with uh, the rest of his um, form and, yeah, it's not working for him at the, at the crease at the moment. He's, he's got to uh, change that stance. Yeah, well, you know, he's done the doing the bum stance where he shows, but but even that isn't isn't the main problem. It's kind of his alignment uh, being outside off stump and his eyes being not over the ball and et cetera, et cetera. Getting very technical here, but it is danger time for Gorgeous George because there's two more rounds of the Shield before the big bash break. If he doesn't perform in the next two rounds, there's a fair bit of talent down in Tasmania. You'd think he'll be under pressure in the second half of the Shield year to, to hold his spot. All right, and big news, the Women's World T20 has just finished... The Women's Big Bash League starts this weekend, gentlemen, and it kicks off with all eight teams in action at City Power Centre in St Kilda, kicking off Saturday morning. How good is that? A quick turnaround. You'd think that they'd be able to celebrate in Barbados or Jamaica or somewhere for a little bit after their win, but they're straight back on the plane, recover from the jet lag and then playing this weekend. Yeah, I think they've got three days from when they land to when they play the first game, so... I mean, that's a two-day flight. They're going to be jet-lagged as hell. They won't even have time to uh, to get this podcast in before before they're on the planes. I reckon they'll already, already be back in Australia by the time this podcast no, comes No, 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 no. They're waiting for it. They've, oh, right. they've, they've told me. They've, they'll delay the flight. That's right. All right, that was the cricket headlines brought to you by Sydney's Daily Telegraph. All right, we're going to take our final break in the podcast. And, uh, you know, I've put out there that we've got a listener mail segment now. If the listeners want to email or tweet me some messages about the show or questions or just perhaps where you listen, you can uh, email me on auscricketpod at gmail.com. That's A-U-S cricketpod at gmail.com. Or find me on Twitter at amenners. Anything we say that upsets you or uh, you want to weigh in on, please contact us. I want to thank Michael from Cornwall in the UK. He's a, an old Aussie that's immigrated over there. He said he really enjoyed the Alan Border interview. He said he listens to the podcast on a tractor in the fields. He's got a gardening business. So speak Going up, everywhere. boys. Could be loud. Going everywhere. We're going to take a final break. And then uh, I caught up with Pat Cummins at a press conference last week. And he, he spoke about... Uh, what it's like playing India, how fiery the series will be. And then the last question is how Steve Smith is going after the ban announcement. So that'll be coming up after the break. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, I think you, know, you, you think of an Asher series and probably an Indian series is, is right up there, especially here. I've only played one series at home. So, you know, absolutely loved every minute of last season. So now yeah, I just can't wait to have another home summer. But you know, when you think of how many people in the world watch a series test match series against India doesn't get any bigger than that so um, yeah right up the top there the test series against India you know 18 months ago was super super fiery Uh, I don't think we'll probably see it that fiery but we're both playing for our country we're we're both really proud teams and um, we like to be aggressive in our body language and so I'm sure there'll be some um, yeah a little bit of fireworks throughout the series but I think it'll all be make for good viewing and just be the competitive streak in all of us coming out rather than trying to uh, you know trying to really bully anyone so yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be heated moments but it'll be um, you know, good contest I reckon yeah I think it's pretty disappointed um, you know I think he was, he was hopeful um, of, of that getting lifted but I mean to be honest I think he's just over it he's um, all the speculation and, and talk I think he's just over he, he wants to play some cricket so 
yeah, some good T20 comps around the world coming up that hopefully will go and play. Um, but yeah, I think he's yeah he's sick, sick of all the talk and he's um, yeah he seems in a he said he's in a really good place. You know he's he's happy. He's you know playing. Obviously, he'd love to be playing the test and everything else coming up. But yeah, just ready to get over it. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. Tommy Sangster, Joe Barton, and of course, Men is here. This is the final segment of the show, and it's time to talk about Australia's T20 series against India. It ended a one-all draw. Australia won the first game. India won the last game at the SCG. In the middle was a rain out. So a kind of hollow series when there's no result. But sort of looking at it from a critical eye, India probably were the better team. They dominated the second match until the rain came. They looked really good in the third match. And you'd say India slightly edged that series. Yeah, I'd say India definitely edged that series. They were on track or well-placed to uh, to win the second game if the rain hadn't emerged. And they probably got a little bit unlucky with the rain in the first game as well. Australia's score ballooned out and uh, they only just fell four runs. get unlucky. Like, that's how, how I know it that's how, I know that's how Duckworth-Lewis works. If, if you start an innings and you know you have 17 overs, you bat differently to when you're like three overs to go, they just pull the pin. So. Uh, I completely understand that, but I, I, I'm just I, sick of all these whinges. That's how it works. It is how it works, but they they finished four runs short. It was a pretty close game, and you can't deny that weather impacted that one as well. So whether they were unlucky or lucky, it doesn't doesn't bother so, you. So let's circle in on that first game because I have a massive issue that is just really irking me, and it's and it's been building up. Listeners to uh, the podcast for a while will know this is a, an issue that I've really got a bee in my bonnet about. Glenn Maxwell, I don't know if you saw, he hit the the Flying Fox camera. It was perched above the pitch. And um, I think it saved Glenn Maxwell's wicket. Because it, it probably yeah, would have been was, caught. It was basically going straight up in the air. Yeah. But I hate the Flying Fox. I love Fox cricket, but I hate the Flying Fox. I don't think the camera angles are good. I don't want to see the top of somebody's head. So it doesn't do anything for the coverage for me. And when you go to the ground, it's like seeing a David Copperfield show. There's wires everywhere and cameras streaking around. So it spoils the the spectacle. And then, you know, what if in a a World T20 final, a ball hits the camera and costs costs the result to somebody? I mean, ban it. Get rid of it. What do you think? Just, Just... I'm into it. I love I love the flying fox. I like it when you're there. I like it when you're at the game. You see it going around in front of the players. It's just it's a good spectacle. It gets good footage, particularly when it comes down low. And like as you're saying, the bad footage is when it's up high. Um, So they need to come down low to get the good footage, which is when they risk getting hit. It's been hit twice, I think, in history. Yeah, the chances of having it once. Maybe the worst thing in cricket. You're more chance of hitting the roof at Marvel Stadium yeah, these I'm, days, the old Dockland Stadium. I'm not bothered by than, it. Than hitting the Flying Fox. I'm into it. Well, innovations. We need innovations in the game. This one, but yeah. Uh, so that was uh, in the first game. Second game was the rain out. The third game at the SCG Sunday night was an absolute cracking atmosphere, but really kicked off before... Uh, the actual game started, that David Warner was in the nets facing Hazelwood and Cummins, uh, having a bit of a, a hit under the eyes of Justin Langer, which raised a few eyebrows, I must admit. There was a lot of um, talk around the ground that it was an interesting time for Warner to have a net. There was a big crowd there already, so he, he did draw a bit of... He was an attraction in himself. And he was brought into the sheds, I believe, before the game as well. So, I mean... He was the out of the the sandpaper gate fallout. He was the one whose reputation took by far the biggest hit. Even within the within the team, there was talk of him being deleted from WhatsApp groups. He 
had a particular fallout with the fast bowling crew. So, for I him, mean, rumours are circling around that him and Smith still are having a very fractious relationship and that they wouldn't want to be in the same room together at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't speak of those rumours, but definitely... Um, that, I can. But surely it's a good sign that if Langer is bringing him back into the fold, he's kind of testing the waters with the current team, maybe even testing the waters with the fans to see how the fans react. Uh, I think it, it's a very good sign for David Warner and, and how um, how he would how he's tracking to return to the Australian setup. Yeah, well, there was some chat floating around that, you know, he's never going to play Australian cricket again. He's just going to go around and uh, play T20 cricket over the world. It doesn't look like that's going to happen because, well, maybe not because, but Australia just simply needs him in the fold. As these bands have shown, we need to have David Warner and Steve Smith in our batting lineups. So even if they are having a bit of a biff at the moment, they just need to get on and, and surely they can work it out. There's There's been uh, competing personalities in the dressing room before and they've worked it out. Yeah, and like you don't have to like everyone you work exactly. with. I mean, I know you, exactly. and, you and Joe... Don't get on that well, but you know, so you know many we, we, oh mate, we hate each other. But you still get the job done. I mean, that's that's life sometimes. Uh, so that was before the game started. When the game started, Australia made six for 164. Krunal Pandya took four for 36 with his left arm orthodox, and then India mowed the target down four for 168. There was a slight stumble when they were four for 108, but Virat Kohli did it easily. 61 not out off 41. Balls. And when I was speaking to Alex Carey last week, I said to him that, bad luck, man, I think the crowd's going to be 60 to 70% Indian. Uh, I severely undersold that. It was 96 to 97% Indian at the SCG last night, and it was fantastic. I've yep. never been to an IPL game, but I reckon that's as close as I'll ever get in Australia. It was loud. They were passionate. Uh, it was noisy. The music was blaring. I mean, it, it just was a, it was alive. It was, the almost, ground was alive. It's almost like a home game for the Indians, given that the sport that they have in the crowd, plus that pitch, is the most conducive to spin in Australia. So that was great atmosphere for them, but Virat Kohli was obviously the star. Um, I used to think that Michael Bevan was the best chaser of runs in cricket, and he was certainly a trailblazer uh, back in his era, but surely it's got to be Virat Kohli now. He's scored 1350s in chases, How which is five... How good would Bevan be, though, at T20 cricket? Uh, look, I'm, I'm not that sure because power. he'd be more of a... He'd be obviously a finisher. He'd have to come in at five or six. If you're in trouble and you're chasing a small total... Bevan was always your man, but Collie's your man if you're chasing these big totals. I think Bevan did have the power, but he just didn't show it that much. But sorry, I interrupted your stat. Yeah, so... Tommy, I love uh, stats, so... 1350s in chases, five more than any other player in wow. T20 cricket. So he's the best. He's, he's, he's the best by a long way. He's going to finish as comfortably the best white ball batsman of all time. Whether, whether he can chase down Sachin for the red ball crown... Is, yeah, it's another matter, but definitely white ball cricket, he's, he's un, unmatched. I was disappointed with the Australian top order batting. We talked about mm. Warner's uh, absence from the team. They're really missing him at the top of the order right throughout the series. And two, two players that stood out for me as being the most disappointing, Darcy Short. I just don't think he has it for international cricket yet. He needs to go back and work on his game a little bit. He seems quite limited at international level. If he's not getting the real pies, he can't seem to kick on with it. And the other one is Chris Lynn. Started the series at the top of the order in the last game, batted down, I think, at five or six. Just didn't look like the play that we regularly see in the Big Bash. Where is 
one half of the Bash Brothers. Chris. Yeah, well, yeah, no, you go. Uh, one, one of the problems with our team is that we've got Chris Lynn and Darcy Short who basically are not good at starting against spin. Plus, you've got Aaron Finch who likes opening the batting. So, basically, our top three don't like starting against spin. So, that meant that Finch had to float. And we were in the office watching this last night and Barden was absolutely blown Where's up. Lynn? Saying, where the 4X is Chris Lynn? And, and I agree. Um, I, they know that the spinner was going to come on as soon as Chris Lynn was going to come out to the crease. They knew that we knew that they knew. And, and so he just got shunted down the order and down the order. Who cares? Um, he was the 12th highest run scorer in the IPL, so it can't be that bad against spin. I don't see why you would be shunting your best hitter up and down the order. Still hasn't made a 50 for Australia, Chris Lynn. A couple of 40, 46s, 44, something along those lines. He, he's the biggest concern for mine in the both the T20 and the ODI side. Because you look, I look at him as the guy who could be the biggest difference maker for Australia um, at next next year's World Cup. But maybe he's a flat track bully, and when he faces these inferior attacks, not international standard, where the the standard's not there, like him and Short can take advantage of that. Quite quite possibly, but he's he's the biggest conundrum for mine for that reason because he doesn't score Love runs. That word. Because he doesn't, he hasn't scored runs at the international level. He can't dive, so he's a massive, massive in liability yeah. in the field. He won't dive for, won't dive for balls. If he's chasing a short run, he's not going to dive yeah, to, to make his ground. He's horrible, yeah, not good between the wickets trying to turn over the strike. That's for sure. If he can't play spin, India had two two spinners last mm. night. That's eight overs out of twenty. If he does, if there wasn't a wicket which fell on the first six overs, then they brought the spinners on. Meant that he couldn't come out effectively until the fourteenth over. It's a it's a big big problem for Australia to have where you fit him into the team and if if you if he's batting six like he's basically a luxury guy at six if um if he's playing there sure Australia can take advantage of a guy who can come in and hit it at 130 in a World Cup but I mean it's really a luxury player and I don't think the Australian batting lineup really is going well enough to afford luxury players at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not sure how many more chances he'll get for Australia. Perhaps his time will run out when Smith and Warner come back. So he's got this next little period to make his mark. Two positives, though, for Australia. I don't want to just focus on the negatives. Uh, Adam Zampa, I thought, bowled bowled well throughout the series. Uh, I think he's shown this summer that he's done a lot of work in the winter Mm. and going off and playing in these T20 comps around the world has just maybe given him a bit of a boost. And uh, Nathan Coulton-Isle, obviously a lot of injuries over the last two years, looked good with the bat and ball throughout this series. Any other standouts? What did you think of those two? The thing that I loved watching in this game is Mitchell Stark bowling in T20 cricket. I still feel that he probably is the best strike bowler in T20 cricket in the world and and like in in ODIs as well, obviously, but he barely plays. It was his first T20 international for a couple of years. Two and a half years, they, They barely let him play. But he's obviously a gun at this format. It's his best format, I believe. But, of course, he, he barely plays it because he plays so much test cricket for Australia. And all the cricket that he plays for Australia cost him $1.8 million in the IPL. The IPL squad have punted him uh, because he's got so many Australian commitments. But I believe could be the best strike T20 bowler in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed um, Marcus Steinis as well. He. Cost cost Australia a little bit last night with his with his first over going for, for twenty two runs or something. But coming through in the clutch in the first game proved that he maybe was like the Ice Man in yeah, the first game. He could be Australia's Australia's death bowler or one of their death bowlers in the um in the you know in the future. And he's he's 
come up with two pretty decent innings as well. Obviously helped rebuild the innings in the first first game with Maxi. So he's showing that he does have that kind of winning mentality, the great great attitude. He's a great fighter, and he always wants and like like a guy like Maxwell always wants to be in the game, always wants to compete. I think they're the kind of guys that Australia really needs. If Stoinis can score some runs in the next two Shield games for Western Australia, he'll put a lot of pressure on Mitch Marsh, absolutely at that number six spot because I know. Langer really likes Stoinis, and there was some press in the last week that Stoinis was penciled in for the first Ashes test last yeah. summer until his father unfortunately passed away. To keep an eye on Stoinis, just on that last over, one thing that Steve Waugh reminded me of last Friday is that he, Simon O'Donnell, and he mentioned an English bowler, I think Stevenson, they kind of invented the slower ball. I mean, there was hardly any slower balls in cricket at all. And um, War invented the back of the hand one. Simon O'Donnell invented the side of the hand one. And I think Stevenson bowled a different slower ball. But, you know, Steve War's legacy is enormous. I mean, you think now about the prevalence of slower balls in international cricket. I mean, is there anything Steve War didn't do? It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> um, all right, so let's move on now to the final segment in this week's Cricket Unfiltered. And uh, Tom, Joe and I are going to take a deep dive into the Indian Test Squad. We've picked two players that we think you should look out for in in the series. And uh, we'll start off with Joe, a big man, Barton. Who are your two Indian players to watch? Well, I'll just let the uh, punters know that we were banned from picking Virat Kohli, obviously, because he's uh, the one that everybody would have. Um, so I went with the, the young superstar, Prithvi Shaw, uh, the opening batsman, Excitement machine, eighteen years old. If you're going out to the to the uh, test this year, it's going to be like people who went to see Sachin in 1991-92. It's the emergence of a genuine superstar. I mean, we've seen some great Indian batsmen since then, but there's just the the buzz around this kid is just different from anything seen really since since um, Sachin came to our shores. He famously scored 546 in a School game when he was just a pup. How many? 546. He got a, obviously got a century on debut against the West Indies. His technique looks immaculate. He's got the uh, temperament for the big stage. Very cool, calm character. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to watch him this, this summer. And I think a lot of Australian fans are going to get a shock when they see that uh, India's got a new Sachin Tendulkar that's going to be uh, <laughs> at the forefront of many victories over the next decade or so. Who's your other player, Barno? I went with a bowler. It's mainly, mainly because India's fast bowling stocks have genuinely never been stronger. Um, I think they've got, they're going to leave guys out of this um, first test who in eras gone by would have been their first, first choice uh, uh, pace spearhead sort of thing. But I've gone with Mohammed Shami. He's a guy who... I, the Shamster. Yeah, he's a guy who I kind of think suits Australian conditions. He's, he's only ever had the one um, test series out here. But he dominated the 2015 World Cup, different different ball and that sort of thing. But I think he took 17 wickets at 17. I, I like I like him on the the faster wickets, the skiddy wickets. I think he would. He's not super tall, but he's would be India's fastest bowler, probably the most aggressive bowler. Um, I just yeah, I just like what he what he um, what he brings to as a, as a difference maker in in the Indian attack compared to say Ishant's kind of steepling bounce or. Um, or the other, or the, or the other guys. He took five. His best figures in Australia: five for 112 um, at the SCG on, on his one tour down under. So I think that was the the final test of that series as well. So Warner and Smith made hundreds in that test, so he won't have to bolt to them. Well, exactly. He's, I think, yeah, I think I think there's a chance that he could blast out um, the top order on on more than one occasion. Tommy Sangster, 
Who are your two Indians to watch? Ravi Ashwin is the most important player in this series. Assuming, of course, that he is named as the spinner. And let's assume that he is. It's interesting because spinners don't normally dominate in mm. Australia. So why exactly. do you think he could? Exactly. Well, India have never won a test series in Australia. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, the batsmen take a while to adjust to the bounce. Or the fast bowlers take a while to adjust to the lack of swing and the fuller length that you need to bowl. But the number one reason is that their spinners cannot take wickets in Australia. It's not just India. Graham Swan's career was ended in Australia. Matai and averaged almost 50 in Australia. Uh, it's tough to bowl spin here compared to in the subcontinent because the technique is totally different. Um, as Nathan Lyon says, in Australia, he bowls with a heaps heaps of top spin, bowls slower, gets loop, loses, uses flight. Whereas over in India, he bowls with side spin, bowls faster, lets, lets the pitch do the work. Uh, so Ashwin's the number one key. He averages 54 with the ball in Australia compared to 22 at home. So if they're going to win this, they need their spinner to get wickets. And assuming Ashwin is the spinner, they've got Jadeja and is it Yadav as yeah, well? Yeah, called it Yadav. Um, assuming he is the spinner, that, that is the most crucial thing in this series, whether India can take wickets with their spinner. But of course, Ashwin's average of 54 in Australia has been against some pretty damn good batting lineups. This time, he's up against probably the weakest batting lineup we've had in a very, very long time. So it could be good a good call. matchup. Good call. I think when we get to the SCG, it will be interesting if it's a turner. They might yeah. throw two or three spinners against Australia. Yeah, it'd be good to see Jadeja and Ashwin play yeah. the left arm wrist spinner. All right, and who's your second player? I've got Rishabh uh, Pant, who is the, the wicketkeeper, the pants man. As I said before, when I watch cricket, I watch I watch wicketkeepers. I'm not the, nor- the, the normal fan who says the wicketkeeper had a good game if you don't I notice. interrupt? Him. Who was the best bowler you kept to? Probably Trent Copeland. Trent Copeland, who went on to play for Australia. Moses Henriquez as well. So uh, I, I, kept a Stuart, I kept a Stuart McGill, actually. There you go. So he's had a good view, um, and most of them have been on the podcast. So continue. <laughs> so this, this kid's only 21, and he, he bats. His batting is probably better than he's keeping. He's one of these batsmen. IPL who, star. Yeah, I mean, he averages 43 in test cricket, averages almost mid-50s in first-class cricket. So he's one of these players who could end up giving up the keeping and becoming a Kumar Sangakkara or an Andy Flower or something like that. His batting is that good. In terms of the keeping, though, it's going to be tough for him coming out to Australia because I've seen some Indian and Pakistani and subcontinental keepers come out to Australia and just absolutely stink it up. Donies have some absolute barries over here because you're keeping... 10 metres further back than you would be in India and their footwork is just not used to it. So catches are crucial. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this keeper because it's a massive test for him. It's not just a test for guys like Ashwin coming over, playing on on bouncy decks and the batsmen coming over, adjusting to the bounce and the bowlers having to bowl fuller. It's really tough work for the keepers as well. And he's he's going to have to seriously lift his game because he's obviously going to get most of his dismissals keeping back to the stumps off Nick's compared to in the subcontinent where he's getting Nick's up to the stumps and stumpings. Good call. Uh, the backup keeper in the Indian squad, or perhaps they'll pick him, is Parthiv Patel. And actually, he played in Steve Waugh's final test match. It's a great was, party, Patel. I'm a he, huge fan. He was very young. I think he was 18. And Steve Waugh told a story that he walked out in his final test innings and Patel absolutely sledged him, said something like, oh, let's see that famous slog sweep of yours, buddy, and we'll see your leg stump go cartwheeling. I don't think Steve Waugh had a response that we could probably put on this podcast. Next is my two Indian players to watch. And 
Look, this is a tough one because I don't actually know if both of these will play because the Indian squad's so strong. But I really like the top order batsman KL Rahul or Lokesh Rahul. He's played 31 tests for India and averages 38, but he averages over 50 against Australia. He has absolutely oodles of talent. And what I like about him is he can move through the gears. He can play a classical test knock, or if he's playing T20 cricket, he can smash the ball around. So he made a century at the MCG last tour. India was here, and that was his maiden test century. He struggled a bit in the recent English tour by India, but made a century at the end of the series there. So I think he's one to watch. And to give you an idea of the way he can play, for the Kings Eleven Pudjab this year, he made the fastest IPL 50 of just... 14 balls. So KL Rahul at the top of the order. Really like the look of him. And then the other one, and and this actually goes to your point, Bardo, that Bhuvaneshwar Kumar, he might not actually play in the first test. They might go for Shami, Bumrah and Ishant Sharma. But that gives you an idea of how good their attack is because Bhuvaneshwar Kumar has been described by, say, Damien Fleming as the second best swing bowler in the world at the moment behind James Anderson. So I think he's a really he's that difficult pace for Australian batsmen where he's not that quick, but he just moves it enough. And we saw um, Abbas in the UAE really trouble Australian batsmen with that just hint of late movement. So if he plays, I think Kumar could be a difficult prospect. He'll play. I'm I'm pretty sure he'll be um, either first or second pace when picked for... It's amazing. Everybody I speak to has a different opinion. I spoke to four or five Indians last week, and they all... Gave me a different starting lineup. Oh well, yeah, well I mean, it, the Indian team is constantly changing. It basically they ne- they never have the same team two tests in a row. So I think you'll you'll see a lot of lot of changes. You'll probably see various uh, fast bowling options used. But I I would think it'll probably be Shami. Maybe Ishant. Ishant. What do you reckon? Doesn't know. Listen, let's just ignore what he said. All right. Incorrect. <laughs> so. Uh, That was our six players to watch for this Indian Test squad. Well, guys, we've we've reached the end of Cricket Unfiltered this week. All right, you've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. Tom, Supercoach Sangster, thanks for coming in. We'll have to hit the Supercoach Supercoach Talk next week. Yep, 100%. Supercoach.com.au if you want to sign up. See his ugly mug with Shane Warne. That was low point in Warnie's career. <laughs> and uh, Joe Barton, thank you so much for coming on again. Thanks. Thank you for having me and for sledging me at the end. That was great. Awesome. All right. You've been listening to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel. We'll be back next week with another show. And from next week, it's going to be two shows a week all summer. <laughs>